You are listening to audio from The Creek Church. If you would like more information about The Creek, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Just remember, good candy this week, all right? Good candy. If you're going to give out those church cards, good candy on them. I'll tell you what, let's do something. You can help me because a lot of times when I say something about Heather, by the time I make it from here to the lobby, somebody in this room has already tattled on me. And so it makes my afternoon real unpleasant when you tell on me like that. So how about this? Why don't you tell on each other? So if you're going to host a bash this week, um, awesome, good candy. And if you're not hosting a bash, go visit some of the other ones. Um, Meet people you go to church with. If you live, and there's a map out there, you can see where the neighborhoods are. And then you tell me, okay? Don't tell my wife on me. You tell me who gives good candy or not. And if they don't give good candy, we're going to implement church discipline next week, all right? (laughs) We're going to come after you. It's going to be crazy, but it's a, it's a great way to get in our community, man. Let's, you know, and here's the thing. The devil only gets what we give him, okay? And so how about we as Christians go out and be light, love our neighbor, serve our community, and, and man, just have a great time on Wednesday night. And uh, let's take it back from the enemy. He's gonna, the only reason he takes our neighborhoods is because we let him. The only reason he has that day is because we let him have it. But let's go do it for the glory of God, all right? Let's do it. Uh, Luke chapter 20. If you got your Bible, let's go. Uh, we're in a series called Out of the Box, and we've been looking at uh, this uh, verse-by-verse study through Luke. We've been in it like a couple years, and uh, we take, we'll, we'll do a series, we'll take some time off and do another series, and so we're, after a couple years, we're at Luke 19, and we're going into Luke 20 today. Um, so it's kind of awesome. We're making progress. But to set this context up, This out-of-the-box series is really looking at the last week of Jesus' life. So it really runs from Palm Sunday to to Resurrection Sunday. And and what's going on, Jesus has come into Jerusalem. He knows it's the final week of his life. And everything is getting amped up a little bit because the cross is just days away. He's trying to invest in his disciples. He's leaving the kingdom keys in their hands. He's wanting to to really pour into them. He's going to have incredible conversations with them. He's also going to have some... some difficult interactions with the religious people around him. And, and, and today's no different. And to set this, this up that we're looking at, <clears throat> Jesus told a parable in Luke chapter 20. This isn't part of our reading, but I want to set some context for you. Jesus told a parable um, of the wicked tenants. And, and to give you the, the context and overview of that, it's a, a man that owned a vineyard, and he set some people in charge of the vineyard. He said, you manage this, you run this, and then, then I'll come and, and, and provide me the harvest. And so the owner of the vineyard decides it's time to harvest, get the harvest from the vineyard. So he sends some of his servants, some guys that work for him, and they go to the people that he's, he's left the vineyard in charge of. And he said, hey, I'm here to collect some harvest, send it on, give it to, give it to the owner, things will be good. And they said, we ain't giving you nothing, it's ours. So eventually the owner of the vineyard said, well, I'll send my own son because they're not going to act that way to my son. They're not going to act that way to my family. And so he sends his son, the owners or the managers of the vineyard said, that's his son, which means he's the heir. If we kill him, we don't have to deal with this. So they throw the son out and they kill him. And Jesus is speaking, to give you context, Jesus is speaking about the religious leaders over the church that had been trusted for the soul care and the spiritual care of the people of God, 
that have neglected it. And Jesus is speaking about his coming to die for the redemption and sins of the world. Now, let's pick it up in, in chapter 20, verse 19. The scribes and the, and the chief priests sought to lay hands on Jesus that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. So Jesus would have answered them, you have perceived correctly. I set you in charge. You have been placed by God to care for the souls and the spiritual well-being and growth of, of my people, and you're failing miserably at it. You're creating all these rules, all these boundaries, all these things that instead of allowing people to come into the grace and presence of God, you're keeping them from everything that I want them to experience. And Jesus has an issue with that. He says, I want you to be able to come to me. I want you to come to this grace. And so they watched Jesus. They sent spies who pretended to be sincere. You ever have people like that? who pretend to be sincere, that they might catch him in something he said so as deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. They are buttering him up. Somebody comes to me and they're like, you're just so great and I just love you and I appreciate you and you're just so kind. I'm like, what do you want? It's typically my kids, right? What do you want? They're setting Jesus up. Then the question comes, is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, this is a loaded question because they know in their minds they've got Jesus either way. That if, if Jesus says, yes, it is right to pay taxes to Caesar, then the Jews are gonna come after him because that means the Jews saying, you're saying it's right for us to fund our own oppression because the nation of Israel was under authority and oppression from the Roman Empire. So they would have said, Jesus, so what you're saying is that I've got to fund all this, this above me. So he can't answer yes in that. If he says no, then they can go to the Romans and say, you've got this guy over here that is saying it's not right to pay taxes to Caesar. So if he says, yes, the Jews are after him. If he says, no, the Romans are after him. So he, he clearly can't answer yes in this situation, but he clearly can't answer no. But what I love about Jesus is, is he, goes, he goes for the heart. He steps outside of the box and he answers them. He perceives in their heart. He knows what's going on. And this is how he, he just lays the smack down with this answer. Show me a denarius. Who's lots of a coin of their money? Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. He said, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. I love that. That's just like, boom, you know, handle that. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said, but marveling at his answer, he shut them up or he, they became silent. He shut them up. And so what, what you've got is Jesus really kind of going for the heart of the issue and, and I spent some time this week away just praying about this message because whenever I, whenever I talk about this topic, giving in church is always a sensitive topic, okay? Because most of us, if you've grown up in church, around church, have friends that were in church or have just heard stories about church, you have heard about this, this abuse of church and money. And some of us carry baggage as a result of that. 
So whenever I talk about this, this is a sensitive subject in churches. And so I spent some time away this week, just got to a quiet place, praying for you, praying for your heart so that you would hear what God wants to teach to you today. And, and so you understand, I'm not here for your money. I'm not trying to get anything out of you this morning. I've, I've spent time this week praying for you and your heart so that God would free you of some baggage and that God would speak to you about what is really going on, that he, it wouldn't be a yes or no. He would go to the heart of where you're at. And Jesus is never concerned about the coin. It's not about the coin. I mean, when, he, when they handed him the coin, he's using the coin to make a point. And what's interesting, that he says, he says, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. His image is on it. They printed the money. Do, do what you got to do. But then he takes it up a notch. He says, give to God what is God's. And he's not talking about the coin. When you, when you go back and really start looking at what is God's, I mean, the, the scripture tells us that, that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns it all. All things were created by him, through him, and for him when Colossians speaks of Jesus. It's all his. God stepped up. Go back to Genesis. God stepped into nothing and spoke everything into existence. And when, 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 when man was created, you've got what, it, what is in the beginning, you've got God, and you've got this, this, this trinity where you have Father, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're in perfect community with each other. And they say this, let us make man in our image. So when you really get to the heart of what's happening in this conversation with Jesus, the scribes, and the Pharisees, Jesus said, give to Caesar what's Caesar's, but give to God what's God's. Jesus doesn't have to say, show me a coin and whose likeness is on it. He says, look in the mirror. You are made in God's image, and he says, give to God what is God's. God wants us. He wants all of us. And, and, and Jesus is using this as a moment to teach his disciples an issue of the heart. When you, when you go into chapter 21, you, you, see, this, you see this played out. When, when Jesus said, give to God what is God's, you see it lived out. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put two small copper coins in. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For all, they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. It, it wasn't an issue of the coin. It was the heart that was submitted. And, and when, we, when we get into this, this issue, um, I always get questions about this because, you know, you've got the Old Testament and the New Testament. If you're new to Scripture, the first part of the Bible is the Old Testament. The, the last part of the Bible is the, the New Testament. And we live in the New Testament time. The Old Testament and New Testament are separated by an event, and that is Jesus that, that in, in between that, what you have is Jesus coming, he's fully God, being born of a virgin, living a perfect life, giving his life on the cross. He's laid in a tomb and he's resurrected on the third day. That's what the gospel accounts are teaching us. That's what Luke is, is teaching us. 
We're seeing this life of Jesus. We're seeing this transition from the old system to the new system. Or, or what we said a couple months ago was phase one and phase two. That in phase one, God created all things. He created you and I. He created man in his image. We sinned. We fell short of the glory of God. We let ourself get in the way. And, and God established the law so that, that we might find a way to holiness. He established a sacrificial system so that we would have a way to be forgiven. Ultimately, phase one was not the end game because God knew in the fullness of time that Jesus would come and pay the ultimate price and be the sacrifice for our sin because the law was given and none of us can, in our most righteous moment can fulfill all of the law. It only happens through Jesus. And I get this question when we talk about giving. Okay, so Matt, um, so we're not in the Old Testament time. We're in the New Testament time. And, and the words of Paul in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul said, we're no longer under law, but we're under grace. So in the Old Testament, it said that, that we were under law to give a tenth, a tithe of all of our income. So what is it? And the, and the Pharisees in, the, in, in Jesus' day made this such a religious practice that, that, that it was just ridiculous. They would go to the leaf on one of their plants for harvest, and they would, they would literally go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine for me, one for God. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine is mine, one for God. They would, they would get down to that with, with every leaf. And Jesus actually said to them one time, he said, he said you're straining the gnats, but you're swallowing a camel. You're going through all this tedious work for the smallest thing, but you're missing the camel. You're missing the big thing. You're missing the obedience. You're missing the heart. In the Old Testament, God said, I desire obedience over sacrifice. Jesus told the Pharisees, go and figure out what this means that I desire obedience over sacrifice. See, in the Old Testament, there was a sacrificial system and there was even sacrifices that God would not accept because the heart of obedience wasn't there. And God said, you're, you're missing the point. And so people ask, so do I give 10% or not? What do I do? Some of you may not like this answer, but I think because of grace, I think when Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it, I think 10 is our base. And I'm not saying you gotta give it all the church. If your baggage is in such a way that you don't trust the church, then I would ask you to do a couple things. Walk with us to earn that trust. Let us earn that from you because we take every penny very seriously and we take every life even more serious. But if you don't trust the church, put it somewhere. Put it somewhere to use for the kingdom of God so that the gospel is made clear for the glory of God in our communities. I really believe this. If, if the local church were to receive, if, if everybody who gave by grace gave just to churches and nowhere else in society, the churches would have more money than they know what to do with, which I don't necessarily think is a good thing. But what I do know is that more needs than we could ever imagine would be met if all of us gave out of grace and not out of responsibility and law. That the poor and the hurt, all the things that we've asked the government to take care of in our society financially, the church has the capacity to do through grace. And if you don't trust the church, don't put it in the church. I believe the church is a storehouse. I believe it really is a pass-through. And, and, and 
This week, I got to a desolate place, and I spent some time praying so that I could prepare for some of the emails and comments that would come in after a message like this. And can I cut one off at the pass? Because whenever I talk about giving, whenever I talk about responsibility for us financially in the community, someone will say the gospel is free. And I would beg to differ. The gospel cost Jesus everything. Jesus didn't pay some. Jesus didn't pay nothing. Jesus paid it all. Our response to the gospel costs us. It costs us our life. Jesus said, if anyone would follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, which meaning I therefore have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I live, but he who lives in me. It costs me. My relationship with Jesus has cost me friendships. My relationship with Jesus has cost me a lot. But hands down, over and over, every day of the week, every second of my life, it's absolutely worth it. So when we talk about giving, the gospel cost, and even practically, let me just get practical with you for a minute. You know, the electric company doesn't take compliments to keep these lights on. We have a staff that loves you, that is here to serve you and minister to you and walk with you. And they can't live off of those great mints that we give in the lobby. They need dollars, okay? Church is a business, but is a business that the bottom line can never be about a dollar. If the bottom line in a church ever becomes about a dollar, get out. Go find, go find another church. Get out because it's going to get real nasty real quick. The bottom line for us as a church is this. It's to make the gospel clear in our community so that we see the glory of God manifest around us. We celebrate lives that are changed. In a few weeks, we're celebrating baptisms. That's what it's about. It's about you and I fully submitted, fully obedient, fully walking with God. That's what we celebrate. That's the bottom line. At the end of the day, it's not about how much money. And, and, and the reality is this. I don't look to you for money. You're off the hook. I don't look to you for money. I look to God. Because when we think about our giving, giving is an act of worship. That's why when we launched the church, man, God really challenged me. He said, you're not gonna pass a plate. And this is not an indictment against any church that passes a plate. But I just didn't feel that we needed to pass a plate at the creek and have sermon number three, four, or nine, or 10 to come up here and go, well, you're getting your check ready. Let me talk to you about obedience. People don't even carry checks anymore. <laughs> but when we launched the church, God said, I want you to look to me and me alone for the provision for the creek. You trust me. I will provide what I've called you to do. And part of that trust is I put those giving stations out because I didn't want to put anything in your face because your giving, my giving, is an act of worship. And it's done in secret. Jesus said in Matthew 6, he said, when you give, when you give to the needy, when you give for a gospel cause so that lives are changed as a result of our obedience, because giving is an, is an act of our obedience, it's an act of worship. When you give, don't let your right hand know, or left hand know what the right hand is doing. In the Jewish culture, the right hand was the hand for blessing. So when you're giving, put, this, put your stingy hand behind your back. Bless 
the Lord. Bless the needy. Let God bless others through you. Be a blessing. We're blessed to bless others. And he says, and, and your father who sees in secret, let it be done in secret so that your, that your father can reward you. If you come charging down, I got my check, I'm laying it down. Here's what happened. You got your reward because everybody in the church goes, oh, they gave. And you just got your reward. That's it. You stored up nothing in heaven because you did it all for, for the eyes of man. Let it be an act of worship. Let it be done in secret. Giving is also an issue of the heart. See, we like to make it about the coin, but it's not. It's an issue of the heart. And to bring that in, you know, the apostle Paul wrote a letter to a church in Corinth. And, and, and Paul, man, if, you, if you've never studied his life, he was Saul. God just radically showed up, changed his life, transformed him. And he began he, he, the transformation from a murderer of Christians to a planter of churches and, and just on fire for spreading the gospel. Paul was planting churches and, and to plant churches costs money. The creek is a church, we're, we're a church plant, will always be a church plant, and we plant churches. And we will continue to plant churches. And we will do the same thing. We will raise funds, we will raise up leaders, we will raise up people, and we will send them out with the gospel. And, and Paul is writing to, to several churches, and he's writing to the church in this case, uh, to the church in Corinth, to encourage them about this gift, about this collection for the saints so that the ministry can be provided for and so that the ministry can go forward in Jerusalem. And, and he talks, he's, he's given some encouragement, kind of challenging him. But in chapter nine, 2 Corinthians chapter nine, verse six, Paul says this, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. There's some principles I wanna pull out of this little, little passage this morning and this isn't, the, this isn't the three principles for you to have a rich life in Christ. This isn't, I'm not here to be your motivational speaker today. I'm here under the conviction of the Holy Spirit to preach to you the truth of the word of God so that we can live fully obedient. Okay, it's not about, there's no offering at the end of this, this message, so just relax. Let God work on your heart today. And some of these principles, that they're not exhaustive, but, but Paul teaches us, he said, you get out what you put in. If you, if you put in sparingly, don't expect a big harvest. He's using agricultural language. This week in my desolate place and getting away to pray, I went out to the country and as I drove through, there's been a lot of rain out there and some of the farmers got their seeds in the ground and it's looking good. You know, the, the, the ranch I was on, the rain came in before they could plow the field and get the seed in. So they're kind of stressed and they're like, we need this many days of dry weather, kind of like us with the roof. We need this many, I need a righteous man. I was like, I'm not it. I can't even get a roof on our building, man. Don't, don't ask me to pray for you right now. I'm in one of those seasons, okay? But uh, uh, <laughs> so I'm looking... I'm fine, though. Don't, you know, are you okay, Matt? I'm fine. I'm just making a joke. So they did start on the roof. Praise the Lord. Um, where was it? Okay, so, so they haven't gotten the, the planting done yet. And so the field that I was looking at when God was kind of talking to me about this message was um, a 90-acre field that's yet to be plowed. Now, 90 acres, when, to give you some perspective, you know, most of us who live in the city and we got our little fenced-in yards, I have a quarter of an acre. That's my homestead right there. Um, 
you know, the type of house that you can high-five your neighbor from your back porch. Yeah, give me some country living, please. I need some space. But anyway, so think about this. If you live in a neighborhood like that, so think about you standing on your back porch looking at your neighbor behind you, this side and this side. Those four houses would roughly be an acre, and I'll multiply that times 90. That's a lot of ground. And, and God's showing, he's looking out, he goes, he goes, look, when you think about this principle of, of reaping what you sow, I didn't call you to go out and just take a handful of seed and go and expect this bountiful harvest. When when you render, when you give to God what is God's, you go all in. He said, the only way you're gonna harvest the whole field is if you plow the whole field. The only way you can expect to harvest that whole field is if you plow the whole field. Let me, let me break it down for you. The only way we can expect anything is when we're 100% obedient. Most of us in here aren't farmers, okay? So let me, let me change it. Retirement. Okay, we're saving for retirement. You're putting some money in for retirement. That's important. If you're not saving, you need to get on it. The lottery is not your retirement plan. You know, <laughs> well, the one person in South Carolina, okay, <laughs> I do have family in South Carolina. I'm really praying for a phone call. Like, hey, I'm like, look, God will take 1% of that, right? Anyway, I'm just joking, okay? It's not about the coin. It's not about the coin. But the retirement is not your lottery plan. But let me ask you, look, can I get honest with you on this? Because, and I want you to be honest with me. When you put a dollar into your retirement, you're not just putting a dollar or this many dollars into your retirement for that dollar later. You're actually investing in something. I mean, when you retire, you, you don't just want the money. What are, you, what are you investing in? You're investing in your security. You're hoping that if I give into this now, when I get to that age, I'm gonna have some peace. I'm gonna have some comfort, okay? I wanna, you, so what we're doing is we're, we're kind of putting a dollar in so that we can have something else out, something tangible in for something intangible, Right? It's not just a dollar for dollar thing. See, when we think about giving, it's not, it's not just a sparing thing. It's, it's not just how can we expect God to do incredible things when we're so willing, unwilling to put something into it. And God said, don't just give me a part of your life and expect me to do something radical with your entire life. It's all of me for all of you. Give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Give to God what's God's. We bear his image and he wants all of us. God did not sow sparingly into our salvation. Jesus paid it all, all in. And, you know, a lot of times we get, we get caught up into this idea that, that our giving is kind of a, you know, if, if I give, God's gonna just bless my finances. I'm gonna, it's gonna be awesome. You know, we kind of make it God's little spiritual get-rich-quick scheme. And, and can I tell you that God's more concerned about our heart? If your mentality is, I'm only gonna give financially so God will give me more money, Maybe God wants to use this moment to reveal something called greed in your life. 
If you're unwilling to give time unless somebody recognizes you for your time and prays you down and gives you a participation trophy and says, thank you so much, you're the greatest, maybe God's trying to reveal something called pride in your life. And God's just saying, I want you. I want your heart. I want you... I want you to love me with everything you've got, with all your guts, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. I just want you to love me. See, when, when Jesus was watching the box, it wasn't about the amount because there were people that came before this widow who put in a lot more coin than she did. But Jesus said, that's a heart. That's a heart that's submitted. That's a heart that trusts me. And that's a heart that I can do something with. That's what, that's what Paul said. He said, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. This is, the, this is where a lot of people find the loophole. It's like, well, God didn't tell me to do anything. If he doesn't tell you to do anything, don't. But Paul said, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but God loves a cheerful giver. So the heart, the intent, the motive, everything is important for, for how we give. It's important for what we give. And God says, I want you to be a cheerful giver. So I, you know, I don't want you to be a sad giver, like, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I'm, you know, I'm doing this, I'm giving this, and I'm just, God says, I, I'll bless the gift, but I can't bless the giver. God will take that gift and he will bless that. We're like, man, so let's, let's okay, so let me give one because we get this. The, the homeless guy standing on the corner, should I give a dollar or not? That's up to you. If God tells you to give him something, you know what? You're accountable to give. You're not accountable for what he does with it. And if he tells you to give, be obedient. If he doesn't, be obedient. But if you give somebody that dollar, you give somebody a 20, you give whatever amount, not about the amount, it's about the heart, right? So if you give and you're sad for giving that, I could have used that, and what are they gonna do? God can take that and multiply it. He will bless that gift for his glory, but he can't bless us because our heart. He'll bless the gift, but not the giver. Or we do, you got the mad givers, you know what I mean? You've seen those? You're like, you're like I'm only doing this because my wife said I gotta do it, you know, and I'm in a different, I work, I work hard, this is my money, I work, you know what I mean? My wife said we gotta, we gotta do this. Hey, God will bless the gift, but he ain't gonna bless your mad heart. It's a glad giver that God wants, this cheerful giver. How do we become that? When we experience the fullness of God's grace in our life, it so transforms us that it's not about the amount, it's about this. It's about hearing God and being obedient. We, 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 we're in a campaign, a capital campaign, fundraising campaign to, to fund the vision and the next steps of our ministry. You know, we're, we're hopefully just a month away. You notice I didn't say four to six weeks. Hopefully just a month away from finishing this new space. Well, it takes dollars to con construct that. And our goal is not, it's not how much we can build around here. We're building space because we need to care for the people. We got more people to minister to. 
We got parking plans that should start because it's been dry and I'm getting some relief on parking. That takes dollars. And we raise those. We go through capital campaigns. But if, if, you've, if you were here when we launched this one and even the first one, if you've been with us that long, let me tell you what it all boils down to. This verse, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, was my guiding verse through these campaigns. It's this. You hear God and you be obedient. If God tells you to do it, do it. If he doesn't, don't. God's gonna provide. I don't look to you, right? We look to God. It's the issue of the heart. But there's something that happens, you know, because the farmer has to wait after he sows the seed for the harvest. When we, okay, so the retirement planner has to invest now and wait till we get to retirement. But with God, there's immediate blessing. There's immediate blessing that God takes care of his own to be a blessing to others. There's something that happens immediately when we become fully obedient to God. It's, it's verse eight. It says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Now, let me, let me explain this because we think, okay, so God starts a blessing immediately. So if I give a 10, God gives a 100. Does that happen immediately? Don't get caught up in that. It's not about the coin. Let me tell you the testimony I've heard over and over and over is people say, hey, we started walking in obedience with God and, and I still got debt. But you know what God has given me? He's not brought more dollars into the house. He's brought wisdom into our house. He's given us a better understanding on how to manage what we've got. You've heard me say there's two ways to fix financial issues. You get more coming in or you get less going out. If you can work both of that, man, that's awesome. But what I've seen is when people step off in obedience with God and that faith with God... God just doesn't, you know, I don't, I don't hear the testimony often. It's like, well, I just, just, I, I just gave my whole life to God. I became fully obedient with God. I just trusted him and everything. And you know what? That check showed up in the mailbox every month to cover all my bills. What I hear mostly is that I'm walking in obedience with God. It's hard. It's costly. But God's given me a peace that moves beyond my understanding. God's given me a wisdom to manage what I've got in my house better. I don't have more money coming in and I don't have less going out, but God's given me the ability to manage it in such a way that, that I've never seen it like this before. It's the peace, it's the, the comfort, it's all the, it's all the intangibles that we put the seed in the ground for, right? And God says, I'm sufficient in that. Sufficient means enough. That God says, my grace is enough for you in all things, in all times, I'm enough. I remember I would call it praying. God would call it whining to God one day. It's like, God, you know, really, the thing's going on. If these dominoes could fall, if you could knock those dominoes, if you could do this, God, this could happen. I mean, there's just so many things that we could do if you would do this, God. And, and I just remember just feeling God saying, hey, Matt, when am I gonna be enough for you? When is just God, when is just me gonna be enough for you? And I had to repent in that moment because the reality is this. If God never did anything for me other than send his son to pay for all my sin on the cross, that's way more than I ever deserve. And all of him is more than enough for all of me. 
all sufficiency, a sufficiency of grace, of peace, of hope, of love, of mercy, of his righteousness, not mine. See, it's not about the coin. It's about returning to God what is God's. Him fully in my life, all of me for all of him. And there's just something amazing that happens when we do that. That when we give to God what is God's, and I, 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 want, I, want you to, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes because I, you know, I feel like we need to, to have a moment here with God where um, we just kind of get some things right. And now I'm, I'm gonna ask you in this moment that if, if today's the day for you to fully put your life in the hands of God, God's not asking for 10% of your life. He's asking for 100% of your life. And the God who is all sufficient with grace, whose sufficiency is in every work and all things and all times, the God of enough is enough. And if you're ready to place your life in his hands, I want you to, I want you to respond to me. I, I want you to just slip your hand up and I'm gonna pray for you. If you say, Matt, I, I'm at that, I'm, I'm, today's the day that that decision is being made in my life that I'm trusting my entire life into the hands of God. And I'm gonna ask him, I'm gonna give it all to him. If that's you, I want you to just slip your hand up. I'm gonna pray for you, but I want you to pray this as well. Don't, don't, I'm not here to broker the deal between you and Jesus. I want you, I want your heart to speak to him. I'll, 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 you, can, you can borrow my words, you can use my words as a guide, but I want your heart connecting to him. Say, Jesus, I need you. I, I, I'm giving you all of me for all of you asking you to forgive me. Jesus, I'm giving you all my sin, all my shame, all my regret, all my success, all my failure, all my striving, all my hopes, all my dreams, all my desires. Jesus, I'm laying them in your hands and asking your sacrifice and the blood you paid cover me. I'm asking for all of you. Jesus, you're enough for me. I'm trusting you with everything I got so that I may live for your glory and my life is from this moment forevermore changed. You have 100% of me. If that was you, if that was your prayer, I'm gonna ask you to do something. I'm gonna ask you to take a step of obedience that after this service, after I close this out, Alex is gonna close this, I want you to speak to one of our prayer team members. I'll mark that on the card so we can help you in the next steps.
because we love you. We want to walk with you. Father, I thank you for giving to us. Thank you for being more than a generous God that you just withheld nothing from us. Thank you that your grace is sufficient, that you are enough in every moment of our life. And I'm, I'm asking you to heal us. If anyone has the broken and, and the scars and the baggage, I'm asking God that you just bring healing to their life today. But we come to you and we declare that we're gonna give to you what is yours. That you created us in your image and we give all of us for all of you. We ask you to open our hearts and open our hands to give like you gave. All for the glory of your great name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Creek Church. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast. Or if you have any questions, you can email us at info at thecreekfw.com.